Sisters, we love you. I testify that life is a gift, and God has a plan for each one of us, and our individual purpose began long before we came to this earth. Lately, I have come to recognize the miracle of a baby's birth into mortality as part of the Lord's plan. Each one of us developed physically within our mother's womb while relying for many months on her body to sustain ours. Eventually, however, the process of birth, dramatic for both mother and child, separated us. As a baby emerges into this world, the change of temperature and light and the sudden release of pressure on the chest induce the baby to take its first gasping breath. Those little lungs suddenly fill with air for the first time. The organs spring into action, and the baby begins to breathe. As the umbilical cord is clamped, that lifeline between mother and baby is forever severed, and the baby's life on earth begins. Job said, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. We come into this world trailing clouds of glory. The family of proclamation to the world teaches each one of us is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents, and each has a divine nature and destiny. Heavenly Father generously shares a portion of His divinity within us. That divine nature comes as a gift from Him with a love that only a parent can feel. We come to this earth to nurture and discover the seeds of divine nature that are within us. Elaine Cannon, a former Young Women General President, said, There are two important days in a woman's life—the day she is born and the day she finds out why. We know why. We have come to this earth to help build His kingdom and to prepare for the second coming of His Son, Jesus Christ. With every breath we take, we strive to follow Him. The divine nature within each one of us is refined and magnified by the effort we make to draw nearer to our Father and His Son. Our divine nature has nothing to do with our personal accomplishments, the status we achieve, the number of marathons we run, or our popularity and self-esteem. Our divine nature comes from God. It was established in an existence that preceded our birth and will continue on into eternity. We identify with our divine nature as we feel and give the love of our Father in Heaven. We have the agency to nurture it, let it flourish, and help it grow. Peter said, We are given precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature. As we understand who we are, daughters of God, we begin to feel those precious promises. Looking out through a window, not just into a mirror, allows us to see ourselves as His. We naturally turn to Him in prayer, and we're eager to read His words and to do His will. We're able to take our validation vertically from Him, not horizontally from the world around us or from those on Facebook or Instagram. If you ever question that spark of divinity within you, kneel in prayer and ask Heavenly Father, Am I really thy daughter, and dost thou love me? Elder M. Russell Ballard said, One of the sweetest messages the Spirit will relay is how the Lord feels about you. We are His. Paul said, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Often the first primary song we learn is, I am a child of God. 
Now it is time to take that beloved phrase, I am a child of God, and add the words, therefore, what? We might even ask questions such as these, what will I do to live my life as a child of God? How can I develop the divine nature that is within me? President Dieter F. Uttdorf said, quote, God sent you here to prepare for a future greater than anything you can imagine. End quote. That future, a day at a time, comes alive when you do more than just exist. It comes alive when you live your life to feel the measure of your creation. This invites the Lord into your life, and you begin to let His will become yours. Divine nature breathes into us the desire to know these eternal truths for ourselves. A young woman named Amy recently taught me this lesson when she wrote, It's hard being a teenager these days. The path is getting narrower. Satan is really trying. It's either right or wrong. There is no in-between. She continued, Good friends are sometimes hard to find. Even when you think you have best friends who will never leave, that could change for any reason. That's why I'm so glad that I have family, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, who can be my companions whenever things with friends go wrong. Amy went on to say, One night I was troubled. I told my sister I didn't know what to do. Later that night, her sister sent her a text and quoted Elder Jeffrey R. Holland when he said, Don't give up. Don't you quit. You keep walking. You keep trying. There is help and happiness ahead. It will be all right in the end. Trust God and believe in good things to come. Amy explained, I remembered reading that and just praying that I would feel love from God if He really was there for me. She said, As soon as I asked and believed that He was there, I felt the most amazing, happy, warm feeling. Words can't describe it. I knew He was there and that He loved me. Because you are His child, He knows who you can become. He knows your fears and your dreams. He relishes your potential. He waits for you to come to Him in prayer. Because you are His child, you not only need Him, but He needs you. Those sitting around you right now in this meeting need you. The world needs you, and your divine nature allows you to be His trusted disciple to all His children. Once we begin to see the divinity in ourselves, we can see it in others. Divine nature breathes into us the desire to serve others. Recently, Sharon Eubank, the Director of Humanitarian Services and LDS Charities, told of an experience shared by Elder Glenn L. Pace. There was widespread drought and extreme famine in Ethiopia in the mid-1980s. To provide relief, feeding stations with water and food were created for those who could get to them. An old man who was starving was walking a long distance to get to a feeding station. He was passing a village when he heard the cry of a baby. He searched until he found the baby sitting on the ground next to his dead mother. Picking up the baby, the man continued to walk 25 miles to the feeding station. When he arrived, his first words weren't, I'm hungry, or help me. They were, what can be done for this baby? The divine nature within us ignites our desire to reach out to others and prompts us to act. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ can help us find the strength to do so. 
could the Lord be asking us? What can be done for this daughter, this brother, this father, or this friend? It is through the whisperings of the Spirit that the divine nature of a doubter, after gasping for breath, finds the peace to breathe again. When the prophet speaks, his words resonate with our divine nature and give us strength to follow. Partaking of the sacrament each week breathes hope into the divinity within us, and we remember our Savior, Jesus Christ. I promise, as you seek to discover the depth of the divine nature that lies within you, you will begin to further magnify your precious gift. Let it guide you to become His daughter, walking the path back to Him, where we will be restored to that God who gave us breath. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Isn't this a beautiful choir? Thank you so much, sisters. My beloved sisters and dear friends, I'm delighted to be with you today. And I'm grateful to be in the presence of our dear prophet, President Thomas S. Monson. President Monson, we love you. We're saddened by the loss of our three precious friends and true apostles of the Lord. We miss President Packer, Elder Perry, and Elder Scott. We love them. And we pray for their families and friends. I always look forward to this session of conference. The beautiful music and the counsel from our inspired sisters bring the Spirit in great abundance, and we could feel this tonight again. I am a better person after being in your company. As I pondered what I should say to you today, my thoughts turned to the way the Savior taught. It is interesting how he was able to teach the most sublime truths using simple stories. His parables invited his disciples to embrace truths not just with their minds, but also with their hearts, and to connect eternal principles with their everyday lives. Our dear President Monson is also a master at teaching with personal experiences that touch the heart. Today I, too, have a story to share. I invite you to listen with the Spirit. The Holy Ghost will help you to find the message for you in this parable. The story is about a girl named Eva. There are two important things you should know about Eva. One is that she was 11 years old in this story. And the other is that she absolutely, positively did not want to go and live with her great aunt Rose. Not at all. No way. But Eva's mother was going to have surgery that required a lengthy recovery. So Eva's parents were sending her to spend the summer with great aunt Rose. In Eva's mind, there were a thousand reasons why this was a bad idea. For one thing, it would mean being away from her mother. It would also mean leaving her family and friends. And besides, she didn't even know Great Aunt Rose. She was quite comfortable, thank you very much, right where she was. <laughs> but no amount of arguing or eye-rolling could change the decision. So Eva packed up a suitcase and took a long drive with her father to Great Aunt Rose's house. From the moment Eva stepped inside the house, she hated it. Everything was so old. Every inch was packed with old books, strange colored bottles, and plastic bins, spilling over with beads, bows, and buttons. Great Aunt Rose lived there alone. She had never married. The only other inhabitant was a gray cat who liked to find the highest point in every room and perch there and staring like a hungry tiger at everything below. <laughs> Even the house itself seemed lonely. 
It was way out in the countryside where the houses are far apart. No one Ava's age lived within half a mile. That made Ava feel lonely too. At first, she didn't pay much attention to great Andros. She mostly t- thought about her mother. Sometimes she would stay awake at night praying with all her soul that her mother would be well. And though it didn't happen right away, Eva began to feel that God was watching over her mother. Word finally came that the operation was a success, and now all that was left for Eva to do was to endure till the end of summer. But oh, how she hated enduring. With her mind now at ease about her mother, Eva began to notice Great Aunt Rose a little more. She was a large woman. Everything about her was large. Her voice, her smile, her personality. It wasn't easy for her to get around. But she always sang and laughed while she worked. And the sound of her laughter filled the house. Every night she sat down on her overstuffed sofa pulled out her her scriptures, and read out loud. And as she read, she sometimes made comments like, Oh, he shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Or, What wouldn't I give to have been there? Or, Isn't that the most beautiful thing you have ever heard? And every evening, as the two of them knelt by Eva's bed to pray, Great Aunt Rose would say the most beautiful prayers, thanking her Heavenly Father for the blue jays and the spruce trees, the sunsets and the stars, and the wonder of being alive. It sounded to Eva as though Rose knew God as a friend. Over time, Eva made a surprising discovery. Great Aunt Rose was quite possibly the happiest person she had ever known. But how could that be? What did she have to be happy about? She had never married. She had no children. She had no one to keep her company except that creepy cat. (laughs) And she had a hard time doing simple things like tying her shoes and walking upstairs. When she went to town, she wore embarrassingly big, bright hats. But people didn't laugh laugh at her. Instead, they crowded around her, wanting to talk to her. Rose had been a schoolteacher, and it wasn't uncommon for former students now grown up with children of their own to stop and chat. They thanked her for being a good influence in their lives. They often laughed. Sometimes they even cried. As the summer progressed, Eva spent more and more time with Rose. They went on long walks, and Eva learned the difference between sparrows and finches. She picked wild elderberries and made marmalade from oranges. She learned about her great-great-grandmother, who left her beloved homeland, sailed across an ocean, and walked across the plains to be with the saints. Soon, Eva made another startling discovery. Not only was great Aunt Rose one of the happiest persons she knew, but Eva herself was happier whenever she was around her. The days of summer were passing more quickly now. Before she knew it, Great Aunt Rose said it would soon be time for Eva to return home. Though Eva had been looking forward to that moment since the day she arrived, she wasn't quite sure how to feel about it now. She realized she was actually going to miss this strange old house with a stalker cat and her beloved great Aunt Rose. The day before her father arrived to pick her up, Eva asked the question she had been wondering about for weeks. Aunt Rose, 
Why are you so happy? Aunt Androse looked at her carefully and then guided her to a painting that hung in the front room. It had been a gift from a talented dear friend. What do you see there? she asked. Eva had noticed the painting before, but she hadn't really looked at it closely. A girl in pioneer dress skipped along a bright blue path. The grass and trees were a vibrant green. Eva said, it's a painting of a girl. Looks like she is skipping. Yes, it is a pioneer girl, skipping along happily. Onfo said, I imagine there were many dark and dreary days for the pioneers. Their life was so hard we can't even imagine. But in this painting, everything is bright and hopeful. This girl has a spring in her step, and she is moving forward and upward. Eva was silent, so great aunt Rose continued. There's enough that doesn't go right in life. So anyone can work themselves into a puddle of pessimism and a mess of melancholy. But I know people who, even when things don't work out, focus on the wonders and miracles of life. These folks are the happiest people I know. But if I said, you, you can't just flip a switch and go from sad to happy. No, perhaps not. And Rose smiled gently. But God didn't design us to be sad. He created us to have joy. So if we trust him, he will help us to notice the good, bright, hopeful things of life. And sure enough, the world will become brighter. No, it doesn't happen instantly. But honestly, how many good things do? Seems to me that the best things, like homemade bread or orange marmalade, take patience and work. Eva thought about it a moment and said, maybe it's not so simple for people who don't have everything perfect in their lives. Dear Eva, do you really think that my life is perfect? And Rose sat with Eva on the overstuffed sofa. There was a time when I was so discouraged I didn't want to go on. You? Eva asked. And Rose nodded. There were so many things I wished for in my life. As she spoke, a sadness entered her voice that Eva had never heard before. Most of them never happened. It was one heartbreak after another. One day I realized that it would never be the way I had hoped for. That was a depressing day. I was ready to give up and be miserable. So what did you do? Nothing for a time. I was just angry. I was an absolute monster to be around. Then she laughed a little, but it was not the usual big room-filling laugh. It's not fair was the song I sang over and over in my head. But eventually I discovered something that turned my whole life around. What was it? Faith. And Rose smiled. I discovered faith. And faith led to hope. And faith and hope gave me confidence that one day everything would make sense. That because of the Savior, all the wrongs would be made right. After that, I saw that the path before me wasn't as dreary and dusty as I had thought. I began to notice the bright blues, the verdant greens, and the fiery reds. And I decided I had a choice. I could hang my head and drag my feet on the dusty road of self-pity, or I could have a little faith, put on a bright dress, slip on my dancing shoes, and skip down the path of life, singing as I went. Now her voice was skipping along like the girl in the painting. 
And Rose reached over to the end table and pulled her well-worn scriptures onto her lap. I don't think I was clinically depressed. I'm not sure you can talk yourself out of that. But I sure had talked myself into being miserable. Yes, I had some dark days, but all my brooding and worrying wasn't going to change that. It was only making things worse. Faith in the Savior taught me that no matter what happened in the past, my story could have a happy ending. How do you know that? Eva asked. And Rose turned a page in her Bible and said, It says it right here. God will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away their all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Great Aunt Rose looked at Eva. Her smile was wide as she whispered with a slight quiver in her voice. Isn't that the most beautiful thing you have ever heard? It really did sound beautiful, Eva thought. Aunt Rose turned a few pages and pointed to a verse for Eva to read. I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. With such a glorious future, Andrew said, why get swallowed up in the past or present things that don't go quite the way we planned? Eva furred her brow. But wait a minute, she said. Are you saying that being happy means just looking forward to happiness in the future? Is all our happiness in eternity? Can some of it happen now? <laughs> of course it can, Andros exclaimed. Dear child, now is part of eternity. It doesn't only begin after we die. Faith and hope will open your eyes to the happiness that is placed before you now. And he said, she said, I know a poem that says, forever is composed of nows. I didn't want my forever to be composed of dark and fearful nows. And I didn't want to live in the gloom of a bunker, gritting my teeth, closing my eyes, and resentfully enduring to the bitter end. Faith gave me the hope I needed to live joyfully now. So what did you do then, if I ask? I exercised faith in God's promises by filling my life with meaningful things. I went to school. I got an education. That led me to a career that I loved. Eva thought about this for a moment and said, but surely being busy isn't what makes you, made you happy. There are a lot of busy people who aren't happy. How can you be so wise for someone so young? And Rose asked. You are absolutely right. And most of those busy, unhappy people have forgotten the one thing that matters most in all the world. The thing Jesus said is the heart of his gospel. And what is that? Eva asked. It is love. The pure love of Christ, Rose said. You see, everything else in the gospel, all the shoulds and the musts and the thou shalt's, lead to love. When we love God, we want to serve him. We want to be like him. When we love our neighbors, we stop thinking so much about our own problems and help others to solve theirs. And that is what makes us happy, if I ask. Great Aunt Rose nodded and smiled, her eyes filling with tears. Yes, my dear, that is what makes us happy. 
The next day, Eva hugged her great aunt Rose and thanked her for her for everything she had done. She returned home to her family and her friends, her house, and her neighborhood, but she was never quite the same. As Eva grew older, she often thought of the words of her great aunt Rose. Eva eventually married. She raised children and lived a long and wonderful life. And one day, as she was standing in her own home, admiring a painting of a girl in pioneer dress, skipping down a bright blue path, she realized that somehow she had reached the same age her great aunt Rose was during that remarkable summer. When she realized this, she felt a special prayer swell within her heart. And Eva felt grateful for her life, for her family, for the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and for that summer so long ago when great Aunt Rose taught her about faith, hope, and love. My beloved sisters, my dear friends in Christ, I hope and pray that something in this story has touched your heart and inspired your soul. I know that God lives and that He loves you, each and every one of you. As you walk along your own bright path of discipleship, I pray that faith will fortify every footstep along your way, that hope will open your eyes to the glories Heavenly Father has in store for you, and that love for God and all His children will fill your hearts. As an apostle of the Lord, I leave this as my testimony and blessing. In the sacred name of our Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I am grateful that we may gather together with faithful women such as Lisa, who are pure in heart, who love the Lord and serve Him even amid their own trials. Lisa's story reminds me that we must love one another and see in one another the beauty of the soul. The Savior taught, Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. Whether we are eight to eight or one hundred and eight, each of us is precious in His sight. He loves us. We are daughters of God. We are sisters in Zion. We have a divine nature, and we each have a glorious work to do. Over the summer, I visited with a lovely young mother of daughters. She shared with me her feeling that our young women need a cause, something to help them feel valued. She knew that we may discover our individual and eternal worth by acting in accordance with our divine purpose in mortality. Tonight, this beautiful and remarkable choir sang words that teach our purpose through test and trial, even through fear, and in the midst of despair. We have valiant hearts. We are resolved to do our part. We are here to serve a righteous cause. Sisters, in this cause, we are all valued. We are all needed. The righteous cause we serve is the cause of Christ. It is the work of salvation. The Lord taught, This is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. We are the cause for which Jesus Christ suffered, bled from every poor, and in perfect love gave His life. His cause is the good news, the glad tidings that He came into the world, even Jesus, to be crucified for the world and to bear the sins of the world and to sanctify the world and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness, that through Him all might be saved. Our Savior has marked the path and led the way. I testify that as we follow His example, love God and serve one another with kindness and compassion, we may stand in purity, blameless before God at the last day. We choose to serve the Lord in His righteous cause that we may become one with the Father and with the Son. 
The prophet Mormon boldly declared, For we have a labor to perform whilst in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. The early church leaders and pioneers of the past pressed forward with heroic courage and determined faithfulness to establish the restored gospel and build temples where ordinances of exaltation could be performed. The pioneers of the present mean you and me. We also press forward in faith to labor in the Lord's vineyard for the salvation of the souls of men. And as President Gordon B. Hinckley taught, how magnificent will be the future as the Almighty rolls on His glorious work through the selfless service of those whose hearts are filled with love for the Redeemer of the world. We join with faithful sisters of the past, the present, and of the rising generation when we join together in the work of salvation. Before we were ever born, we accepted our Heavenly Father's plan by which we could obtain a physical body and gain earthly experience to progress toward perfection and ultimately realize our divine destiny as heirs of eternal life. Of this premortal covenant, Elder John A. Witso explained, We agreed right then and there to not only be saviors for ourselves, but saviors for the whole human family. We went into a partnership with the Lord. The working out of the plan became then not merely the Father's work and the Savior's work, but also our work, the least of us, the humblest is in partnership with the Almighty in achieving the purpose of the eternal plan of salvation. Here in mortality, we have again covenanted to serve the Savior in the work of salvation. By participating in sacred priesthood ordinances, we pledge that we will embark in the service of God with heart, might, mind, and strength. We receive the Holy Ghost and seek his promptings to guide our efforts. Righteousness emanates out to the world when we understand what God wants us to do, and then we do it. I know a primary child who said to a friend while standing at the bus stop, Hey, you ought to come to church with me and learn about Jesus. I saw the girls in a young woman class link arms together and make a commitment to minister to one another and then plan an appropriate way to help a young woman who was struggling with an addiction. I have seen mothers give everything of their time, their talents, and their energies to teach and exemplify the principles of the gospel so that their children, like the sons of Helaman, may stand courageously and faithfully through trial, temptation, and adversity. But perhaps most humbling to me was to hear a young, a single adult sister declare with the fire of pure testimony that the most important work we can do is to prepare for marriage and family. Although this is not her experience, she knows that family is the very heart of the work of salvation. The divine plan of happiness enables family relationships to be perpetuated beyond the grave. We honor the Father's plan and glorify God when we strengthen and ennoble those relationships in the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. We choose to live pure and virtuous lives so that when the opportunity comes, we are prepared to make and keep that sacred covenant in the house of the Lord. We all experience times and seasons in our lives. But whether we are at school, at work, in the community, and especially in the home, we are the Lord's agents, and we are always on His errand. In the work of salvation, there is no room for comparison, criticism, or condemnation. It is not about age, experience, or public acclaim. This sacred work is about developing a broken heart, a contrite spirit, and a willingness to use our divine gifts and unique talents to do the Lord's work in His way. It is having the humility to fall on our knees and say, 
O my Father, not as I will, but as thou wilt. In the strength of the Lord, we can do all things. We continually seek his guidance in prayer, in the scriptures, and in the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. One sister faced with an overwhelming assignment wrote, Sometimes I wonder if the sisters in the early history of the Church didn't, like us, put their heads on their pillows at night and pray, Whatever tomorrow brings, wilt thou help me through it? Then she wrote, One of the blessings is that we have each other, and we are in this together. Whatever our circumstances, wherever we are along the path toward salvation, we unite as one in our commitment to the Savior. We sustain one another in His service. Recently, you may have read about Sister Ella Hoskins, who at 100 years old was called to help young women with personal progress. About two years later, at 102, Sister Hoskins earned her Young Womanhood Recognition Award. The Young Women, the Ward and Stake Young Women and Relief Society presidencies and family members gathered together to celebrate her accomplishment. Boundaries of age, organization, and marital status faded away in faithful service. Young women expressed gratitude for Sister Hoskins, for her teaching, and for her righteous example. They want to be like her. Afterward, I asked Sister Hoskins, How did you do it? She promptly responded, I repent every day. From a gentle lady, so full of the Spirit of the Lord that she glowed with pure light, I was reminded that to shine with the beauty of holiness, to stand with the Savior, and to bless others, we must be clean. Purity is possible through the grace of Christ as we deny ungodliness and choose to love God with might, mind, and strength. The Apostle Paul taught, Flee youthful lusts, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. None of us is perfect. We have all made mistakes, but we repent so that we may be better and retain the name of Christ written always in our hearts. When we serve in the name of the Lord with purity of heart, We reflect the Savior's love and give others a glimpse of heaven. May we choose to serve a righteous cause. As valiant emissaries of our Lord Jesus Christ, let us stand together and with a song in our hearts move forward, living the gospel, loving the Lord, and building His kingdom. I testify that in this glorious work we may know the pure love of God we may receive true joy and obtain all the glories of eternity. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Nicole, take one. Marker A and B. I first met my sister in Relief Society 10 years ago, and it has changed my life for the better and the lives of people I know because I am a better person for having known her. My sister completely embodies the pure love of Christ. I've never seen anybody handle their trials with such grace. (laughs) She's never met somebody that she doesn't love. Everyone she meets feels that from her. Here are some things our friends have said about our sister. She is very genuine. I have always felt that she truly cares about me no matter what. The word I would use to describe her is charitable. She is the very definition of charity. Her love for me and others isn't conditional. She never treated me like she had to get to know me before she loved me. She just loved me. As humans, we guard ourselves and judge and people earn our love. She gave it freely from the first moment I met her. I personally met her when I was at a horrible time in my life. I was angry and far from being kind to others. Lisa treated me with such genuine kindness, it really softened my heart and opened my eyes. And my sister is Lisa Gaucher. No. <laughs> this is not good. 
given by our friends. Aww. I asked all of them what they thought of you, and that's what they truly said. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. I love you. Thank you. Everything she said was overly generous and not uh, how I think about myself. Um, you should. But I am grateful that I have friends that think that I am better than I am. Uh, I think that's a, the, a mark of a good friend is to see your good qualities and ignore your weak ones uh, because I think sometimes it's easy in the world to focus on things that don't really matter um, or that are not positive about other people. I am very grateful for my friends uh, who really are like family to me uh, and treat me in such a way that I want to be better. Don't you love this sister? We know that many of you who have not had the opportunity to bear children of your own have spent your lives loving, teaching, and blessing children. And oh, how our Heavenly Father and we, your sisters, love you for it. Have we all, including you dear younger sisters in primary and young women, had the opportunity to hold a newborn baby in our arms and have him or her look up into our eyes? Have we sensed the sacred and holy feeling surrounding this celestial spirit so recently sent by our Father in Heaven to its newly created, pure little body? I have seldom experienced feelings quite so sweet, so tender, and so spiritual. Our bodies are sacred gifts from our Heavenly Father. They are personal temples. As we keep them clean and pure, we can be worthy to help our Heavenly Father create bodies for His beloved spirit children. In President Boyd K. Packer's final General Conference talk, which you may remember as a cookie and a kiss, he testified that, quote, the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth is essential and is the source of human happiness. Through the righteous exercise of this creative power, we may come close to our Father in Heaven and experience a fullness of joy, even Godhood. The power of procreation is not an incidental part of the plan. It is the plan. He continued, True love requires reserving until after marriage the sharing of that affection which unlocks those sacred powers by avoiding situations where physical desire might take control. Our happiness and mortal life, our joy, and our exaltation are dependent upon how we respond to these persistent, compelling physical desires." End quote. My dear sisters, both young and not so young, I have felt a great anxiety as I have prepared this talk. As Elmer the Younger expressed, I wish from the inmost part of my heart that she would call on His holy name and watch and pray continually that you may not be tempted above that which she can bear that she may be lifted up at the last day. Later, Mormon also testified that in Alma's day, Korahor, the Antichrist, did preach, leading away the hearts of many women. Sisters, Satan has raised a Korahor-like banner in our day with increasing success. What are some of his tools? seductive romance novels, TV soap operas, married women and old boyfriends connecting on social media, and pornography. We must be so careful, dear sisters. We cannot play with Satan's fiery darts and not get burned. I know of nothing 
that will qualify us for the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost as much as virtue. Many in today's world are looking for instant gratification and instant knowledge on the Internet. In contrast, we will be exceedingly blessed if we exercise faith and patience and go to our Heavenly Father, the source of all truth, with our concerns. So many answers and assurances can come through daily searching and studying the scriptures and with sincere and pleading prayer. But there are no such promises on the Internet. The prophet Jacob testifies, For the Spirit speaketh the truth, and lieth not. Wherefore it speaketh of things as they really are, and of things as they really will be. When we are involved in watching, reading, or experiencing anything that is below our Heavenly Father's standards, it weakens us. Regardless of our age, if what we look at, read, listen to, or choose to do does not meet the Lord's standards in For the Strength of Youth, turn it off, rip it up, throw it out, and slam the door. None of us is perfect. But when we have sinned, President Packer has reminded us that, quote, The promise is, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. The Atonement which can reclaim each one of us bears no scars. That means that no matter what we have done or where we have been, or how something happened, if we truly repent, He has promised that He would atone. And when He atoned, that settled that. There are so many of us who are thrashing around with feelings of guilt, not knowing quite how to escape. You escape by accepting the Atonement of Christ and all that was heartache can turn to beauty and love and eternity, end quote, from President Packer. Besides repentance, what helps or tools have we been given to help us stay clean and virtuous? Our primary and young women all know and sing the song Scripture Power. Can we expand it to prayer power, temple power, covenants power, Sabbath day power, prophet power, and virtue power. There are also great blessings and protecting promises associated with the proper wearing of our temple garment. I have come to feel that I am symbolically putting on royal robes given me by my Heavenly Father. I testify, sisters, that when we strive to wear the garment properly, our Father recognizes it as a great sign of our love and devotion to Him. It is a sign of the covenants we have made with Him. And He has promised, I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise. Recently, I talked to an old friend who has gone through two divorces due to the addictions and unfaithfulness of her husbands. She and her three children have suffered greatly. She pleaded, I have tried so hard to live righteously. Why have I had so many trials? What have I done wrong? What does Heavenly Father want me to do? I pray and read my scriptures, help my children, and go to the temple often. As I listened to this sister, I felt like shouting out, You are doing it. You are doing all that Heavenly Father wants and hopes you will do. Understandably, many have expressed that our Father's promised blessings are just way too far away particularly when our lives are overflowing with challenges. 
But Amulek taught that this life is the time to prepare to meet God. It is not the time to receive all of our blessings. President Packer explained that, quote, and they all lived happily ever after is never written into the second act. That line belongs in the third act when the mysteries are solved and everything is put right, end quote. However, a vision of our Father's incredible promised blessings must be the central focus before our eyes every day, as well as an awareness of the multitude of His tender mercies that we experience on a daily basis. Sisters, I don't know why we have the many trials that we have, but it is my personal feeling that the reward is so great so eternal and everlasting, so joyful and beyond our understanding that in that day of reward we may feel to say to our merciful, loving Father, Was that all that was required? I believe that if we could daily remember and recognize the depth of that love that our Father in Heaven and our Savior have for us, that we would be willing to do anything to be back in their presence again, surrounded by their love eternally. What will it matter, dear sisters, what we have suffered here, if in the end those trials are the very things which qualify us for eternal life and exaltation in the kingdom of God with our Father and Savior. I testify that our bodies are sacred gifts from our Heavenly Father and that as we keep our lives pure and clean through the atoning sacrifice of our Savior and keep the vision of our Father's promised rewards daily in front of us, we will one day receive all that the Father hath. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. My name is Melanie. I met Molly when I was a substitute teacher for her primary class. We became friends and this is our true story. Dear Melanie, thanks for teaching me in primary class. I love to get mail. I don't get mail very often. Can you send me a letter very soon? When can you come to my house and make cookies with me? Thanks for giving me hugs whenever I see you. I'll be waiting for your notes in the mail. Love, Molly. Dear Molly, thank you for your letter. Your letters always brighten my day. I love spending time with you and your family. Even though I don't have children of my own, I am so grateful for you and my nieces and nephews and many other children that I love in my life that have given me opportunities to mother. It brings me so much joy to teach and to love and to learn from children like you. Molly, I want you to know that life isn't always easy and may not turn out the way you think it should. Always stay close to Heavenly Father through daily scripture study and prayer. Follow the prophet and stay true to your covenants and you will be able to make it through any challenge. One of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I look forward to your next letter. Love, Melanie.